song? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, you know the 12 days of Christmas, isn't that the song? Anyway, hey, um, thank you to all those who continue to, uh, to give through our tithes and offerings and everything. Appreciate that, guys. Uh, and uh, and uh, just as a way of reminder, of course, FPOS, there's a new FPOS machine out there. And it's Albert, the son of Albert, it's called. We used to call the other one Albert. Uh, and so uh, you can uh, avail. If you have any trouble with it, just ask one of the welcome team and they will look after you. But uh, you can certainly give online through the FPOS machine through Albert or through the, uh, just give through the offering box. And uh, First Fruits is coming up at the end of uh, this month. So gee, far October already. There we go. Hey, um, I'll be just, uh, we're just, I'm going to finish a little series that we started about four weeks ago because we've had guest speakers and things have happened. And uh, it's just called Healthy Relationships Part 3. And uh, I wanted to just uh, finish it today uh, and uh, talk about it. I was, uh, I was reading, uh, as you do invariably, sometimes, you ever, you ever remember there's a thing called Reader's Digest? And, and they used to have, and, and uh, my, I think my mum used to buy them. And there were little books about this big, and I'd never read anything else, but I'd go to the, um, to the, the joke section or the story section. You ever been, that, and that, as a kid, I just used to read those. I thought that was so good. And they were clean, and they were great stories. And, and so I, I think this story this morning kind of fits in there really, really well. Uh, there was a gentleman called Eddie. He was a dad. He came home from work, as he always did, parked in the same place. And he noticed uh, um, that his dad... Uh, sorry, not his dad, his three children, his three children were dressed in their pajamas and playing in the mud in their front yard. He thought that was a bit strange. He noticed that his wife's car door was left open and so was the front door. He walked in, he noticed that the hall mat was uh, pushed up against one side of the wall. He walked into the lounge room and he noticed there were toys everywhere. Uh, the television was on, on a cartoon channel, and the volume was right up, and yet no one was watching it. He noticed that, that he went into the um, kitchen, uh, there was dishes all over the sink, um, broken glass on the floor, and there was food just spread across the workbench. He thought, what's happening? He went up the stairs, he, jumping over more toys and more clothes, thinking that his wife has gone, got ill, seriously, she'll be injured, what's happened to her. He, he is met at the top of the stairs by a, a flow of water coming out of the bathroom. As he peered into the bathroom, he noticed that, that the toothpaste was smeared across the mirror and the sink, and that there was wet, soggy towels everywhere. He rushed into the bedroom and he found his wife curled up uh, reading a novel. And with a lovely smile, he said, Hello, Eddie, how was your day? He didn't even answer that question. He says, What happened? She said, Well, you know, Eddie, how you come home and ask me, uh, What in the world did you do today? Well, I didn't. I just didn't do it today. <laughs> and so, in saying that, um, I bring to our attention the reality of the fact that sometimes in relationships, we can take things for granted, can't we? Uh, sometimes we can take uh, our spouses for granted. We can sometimes take many things for granted, even in not just in marriage relationships, but in relationships in general, just maybe with friends. And, you know, today as we embark on this last thought, uh, a series of thoughts in, in regards to the relationship, I just don't want it to be, I notice you guys are there. That's nice, so I better stand back a bit. I, 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 uh, I think it's not just a relationship of husband and wife, 
It's not just marriage relationships, but it's marriages right across, relationships right across the spectrum. Whether it's your work colleagues, whether it's your cousins, your friends, your parents, your, your spouse, or uh, uh, maybe it's your neighbor. Now, there's a problematic issue sometimes. Who's ever had a, had a slight element of disagreement with a neighbor? Yeah, righto. <laughs> I've, I've got some great neighbors, and then I've got some neighbors I've got to work a little harder with. Uh, but it's all good. So today, relationships. We can't take them for granted. You, you know, the reality is um, the quality of our life largely rises and falls on all of our relationships in our day. The quality of our life. Now, ultimately, I know as Christians, our quality of life really depends on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately, also, we've got, we, we have everyday relationships and connections with people and life rises and can rise and fall on that because the truth is is that we can have healthy joyful and strengthening relationships that bring add something to our life but then we can have relationships that are a little bit more strained and sometimes can bring pain and sometimes it can bring um, you know stress into our lives Uh, and as I said earlier I mean I've had both because I live in a cul-de-sac and I don't know how you squeeze seven houses into a cul-de-sac, but we manage, they managed to do that in our cul-de-sac. It's a large cul-de-sac. And so I, I've got I- interesting, and not only that, I've got a couple of people who live kind of just behind us. And, and uh, so I've had some great, rela- I, I try to have good relationships with all my neighbors, but there sometimes comes elements of difference. Um, and uh, so we, we find that we've got to be aware that sometimes relationships can get strained and you know, and I always find initial responses to relationships can be when we find, have a strained relationship or a little bit tense relationship, we can always sometimes be quick uh, to position the fault at the feet of the other person. Uh, that's our initial response. And sometimes when we think about it, we realize we've had a part to play in as well. But our initial response can be that, and that they've, they've done something, they've said something, and, and I'm fairly innocent in this case. And and maybe that's why Jesus actually said, you know, it's easy to look at the uh, speck in someone else's eye, but neglect what? The log in our eye. Um, uh, so we have pretty good vision when it comes to other people, but we seem to lose sight when it look, we look at ourselves. And I don't say that as a condemning thing. I just say it as a reality. And, you know, when we do sometimes assign to the other person that it's their fault, we, what we're doing is we're giving responsibility to them for the way we feel and think. And we don't need to do that. We need to take responsibility for our own relationships. Don't assign other people the responsibility of how we feel or how we think or our relationship. Um, so in saying that, the text that we've been using is from uh, this little book in the New Testament called uh, Galatians. And Paul wrote to the Galatians. Um, interesting enough, Paul was writing to this Christian group of people in Galatia. And he was uh, talking to them or writing to them in relation to some belief systems that were totally wrong. He'd, he'd, he'd already shared with them something that was their belief system. One of the belief systems was that you needed to continue to be circumcised to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be welcomed by God. I'm glad that is not the truth and that wasn't the truth back then. And so we see that Paul was trying to uh, rectify that. They'd already disagreed with him. They already said, we don't believe that. We believe we've got to continue this Jewish tradition and belief of circumcision and other things as well that they were believing. But Paul said, no, it's no longer that. It's a circumcision of the heart. And, um, and so we see Paul had this disagreement. So he wrote this letter to them. 
And the, while, the, the letter, uh, while the relationship was a bit strained, um, he, 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 by the letter, I believe, he was able to rectify that. But, um, which is interesting, because if you'd known Paul and how he dealt with people before he was Paul, remember he was Saul once. And as I said uh, last week, the way that Paul, Saul dealt, dealt with people was that he either at least jailed them, at worst stoned them. Um, so he, he didn't have a good track record in regards to relationships. But Paul has had an encounter with Jesus Christ on a, on a road to Damascus one day, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit had, had really uh, touched his life. And through a process of time, it just didn't happen like that, but through a process of time, he'd become an incredibly... Uh, a wonderful man that just loved God and loved people. And thus, that's why he writes this somewhat confronting but letter to the Galatians. But as he writes this letter, uh, he, in, 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 in seeking to help them understand something about Jesus, he writes in that famous passage, chapter 5, 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit, praise God for the buts of scripture because they, when you see a but it's talking about you know this is it's often say well this is the problem this is all the issues but there is an answer and so Paul says there's a wonderful thing called the fruit of the spirit and and you could quote them to me in love and joy and peace and and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness self-control and the and then it, and then Paul says against such there is no law there's no written disagreement against pure love and peace and joy is there we can't argue with that when there's sincere, genuine love and all those virtues of the Holy Spirit given to us, shown to us by someone. You can't argue with that when there's just that patience shown to you, that kindness. And so over these last couple of, of, of weeks, we've addressed five of them. Um, my apologies last week because I didn't get to kindness last week, but you can listen to the uh, podcast and you can hear the first five but let's just take the last four today real and the time we have and let's uh, uh, talk about them is that okay yeah. brilliant goodness so Paul says goodness he talks to these Christian Christians at Galatian and he says goodness and goodness is an interesting word because God is good um, um, we're not always that good uh, when we think about it literally that word but God is good uh, but goodness really means an uprightness of heart Okay, it means an uprightness of heart and life. It also means another word that we've used, uh, it means integrity. And, and integrity is a great word because it means being the same person in every situation rather than the chameleon who changes colors depending on the circumstances or the environment that chameleon may be in. And we don't, none of us want to be a person that's like this to somebody and different to another person. We don't want, I don't think any of us want to be that, but that's what integrity really means, which is connected to this word goodness. Because um, goodness and speak of the person, integrity speak of the person who is consistent. Consistent. Um, and, and goodness and integrity is the opposite of being a fake. It's um, hard to build healthy relationships when you're a fake, isn't it? Uh, we, we've got that word, it's become a culturally accepted word these days, fake, fake news, uh, fake this, fake that. Um, so, you know, um, so it's, it's not, we don't need to be that. And, you know, I, I've discovered in life that we can make a good impression, you can have a couple of good social catch-ups with people, but to have long-term healthy relationships, you have to be the real deal. 
you have to be honest and you have to be real and you have integrity. And, and the, the word integrity, if we were just to dig a little deeper this morning, it comes from a Latin word, integer. A Latin word, integer, and which means really this, um, which is a mathematical terminology that you and I have grown up with. An integer means a number which is not a fraction. So it's integer is a number that's not divided or not a fraction of a whole number. Is that understandable? And that's where the word integrity comes from. And so in integer is speaking about the type of person who's whole and not divided. In other words, they're over here, they're one person to this person, but they're over here, there's something different to another. So that's integrity, that's integer, that's the Latin terminology, that's where it comes from. We're whole and not divided. Now, I think today the reality is that we all feel sometimes a little divided in that sense that, you know, I, I, I kind of have sorted out that, but I've still got this little thing I'm working on, you know, and there's elements of that. Let's be honest and real, but the integrity talks about, and Jesus Christ talks about, and Paul talks about this, this goodness or this integrity that makes us whole. I, I want to be whole in body, mind, soul, and spirit. What about you? So that I can have healthy, I can engage my marriage in a healthy way, I can engage my children, I can engage my colleagues, I can engage my neighbours, and I'm working on that one still, but in a healthy way. I, see, I have three, three young lads who live below me, you know, well, they're my neighbours, but they're kind of a bit of a hill, and so they're just below me. And um, three young lads, one of the lads, their dad bought the house, and they kind of moved in, and they're renting it off him, and and, um, and I've got good respect for these guys. And the reason is, is they, yes, they do have their parties and they do play loud music. But you know, at nine o'clock, they shut it off straight away. And you know what? Um, and, and, but before nine o'clock, they're going for it. Well, I don't usually go to bed before nine, so it's cool. Um, and uh, and uh, one night, um, when they play their loud music, they also drink. Uh, and so they get drunk and they get argumentative and one night they're having a bit of a tiff, one of them, a couple of them, and someone called the police on them <laughs> and that sorted it out right away. And um, I got this sense that they think I did <laughs> and I'm not going to tell them any different. <laughs> no, no, I will if they want to ask, but I never did. Uh, the reason being is because now that when they have a party, they come and knock on my door and say, oh... Um, I just want you to know we're having a party tonight, but it'll be finished by nine. I say, not a So I have great respect for them because they're true to their word. They always cut it off at nine. I think they jump in their cars if they're still able to drive and they go to the nightclubs. But anyway, so it's a, it's a good working relationship. Generally, they're quite okay. And, uh, and I appreciate and respect that. Um, why did they tell you that story? I don't know. What's the point? Um, goodness and whole and respect, you know. And so I... I, 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 I sought to continue to work with those young guys and and uh and if they ever ask me i'll say hey guys i should just say to them one time and they knock them out i say did you know that i never called i didn't call the police on you i think it was the lady the other side <laughs> i don't know anyway they seem to have this fear we could call it the fear of god because <laughs> someone told them i was a pastor <laughs> and so they really got it up from there anyway so we see it it, it, it Integer is, is speaking about the type of person who is whole and not divided. If there was an ever illustration of this, it, it's, an, it, it's an illustration that's well known, an example, a real life story, and it's the story of the Titanic that, um, of course, uh, tragically, 1,517 people lost their lives that 
tragic night in the Atlantic Ocean, in the cold part of the Atlantic Ocean, when the Titanic struck an iceberg. It was the unsinkable ship, wasn't it? And it wasn't unsinkable because it was just big. It was the way it was designed, because it was designed in the hull with 16 compartments. And, each of the, and, and the thought was, if there ever was a hole in one of the compartments, the water may fill that one, but it won't be enough to um, fill the others. But the trouble was that tragic night, um, the iceberg put a hole, a long hole, in six of the compartments of the 16. And so water flowed into those six compartments and they couldn't pump it out quick enough and, and then it flowed over the top of the, the dividing walls between these compartments and it started to fill each compartment of those 16 one by one until the Titanic couldn't possibly stay afloat and it, and it reached up and it sunk. Now if you've seen the movie, you'll remember how that tragic night unfolded and what a terrible story, what a terrible thing happened and many lives were lost. People, many people in life fall for the Titanic myth. And that myth is that people divide their lives up into the little compartments. And we can divide our lives up into little compartments. And what we do is we say we have a work life, and we have a home life, and we have a sporting life, and we have a social life, and we have our money life, and then we have our online life. And we have all these compartments. And what we say, as long as I'm doing 70, I'm, I'm hitting the marks in you know, most of those compartments and being good and doing the right thing in most of them, uh, the one or two that I'm not doing so well, that's okay. But I want to tell you what happens is you're still taking on water. And unfortunately, if one of those compartments, it just fills up, it can take, it can take us out. Because it can overflow into all the other parts of our life. And this is what God calls us to. And this is what he says, come on, if we're going to build healthy relationships uh, with him, with others, uh, we're going to live this Christian life, he says, you've just got to stop all the compartments. You've got to deal with each of those things. There's nothing wrong with having compartments. I, some, some people call them rooms. You know, I have this room. But you know what? We just need to be real in each of those rooms. And, each of those, and we just need to be honest. And we just need to be careful. Many people fall for that. Don't fall for the trap if you compromise in this area that you're going to be right in all the other, and you're right in all the others that you still can stay afloat. Because what happens is that one just gets too big that's not happening well. It can overflow into the others. Um, we have to be careful because we have the infinite ability to deceive ourselves. I have the infinite ability to deceive myself about my little secret compartment or whatever it may be. I have discovered that no one lies to me better than me. I will just have another chocolate. It'll be the last one. <laughs> I won't ever do it again after this one more time. I won't ever do it again. And then next month you do it again and then you say, I won't ever do it. No one lies better to me than me. That's why we should be We've got to realize that. When we come to understand that, I, I'm just so grateful there's hope and there's help for us because in our Christian faith, there's the indwelling power of God's Holy Sp presence through the Holy Spirit. And you know what he says? He says, he, 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 says he, he pricks our conscience and he tells us the truth and we can't get away from that. And that's why sometimes we separate ourselves from God is because we don't want to hear that truth. We don't want to hear, we don't like our conscience to be pricked and so we just step away. It's not that we don't maybe love God or God doesn't love us. It's just that we don't want to hear that stuff all the time. 
but the, the, you know, if we draw near to him, it's amazing how we'll hear the truth all the time. The scripture says in John 16, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And what that means is the Holy Spirit has no capacity to guide you any other way except in truth. And what we call our conscience can often be him just speaking to us and saying something very deliberate into our hearts and saying, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there, don't action that, because that can be destructive. So today, so if you, if you and I are going to build healthy relationships, it's going to be, require goodness. Not perfection, please, understand, not, not perfection, but a healthy ability to not be divided in our lives from when we had that secret life and then we have the life that we showed everyone else. Because it, it can affect everything. Integrity builds trust, doesn't it? Goodness builds trust. And trust are the things that relationships are made of. You're okay. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness means loyalty and courage. To be utterly reliable and true to your word. Faithful, Faithful people make for good relationships. Faithful people know how to stick with people. They have a stability. And, and um, they're with you in the good times and they're with you in the bad times. Uh, Proverbs 17.17 uh, 17 says, There's a friend who's always loyal. A, a, a brother is born to help or a sister is born to help in time of need. Uh, I love that thought. That would have been up there. Uh, which is really different to the fair weather friend. You know what a fair weather friend is? When it's metaphorically sunshine, a gentle breeze and 25 degrees, like it's probably going to be today. Just a lovely day today. You know, your friends are there. They're available. They're helpful. But when the storms roll in and your life goes south and something really bad happens, man, they're gone. So they're just there for the fair weather, but they're not there any other time. I'm glad we don't have a fair weather God. In actual fact, he, he, he's willing to draw near in the storms. He's willing to be in your boat in the storms. It's just that we forget about him. And sometimes we just need to, uh, he's not that he's not. In actual fact, sometimes he even sleeps in your storms because he's so much at peace. You remember the story of the boat? Jesus fell asleep. The disciples are just, ah! and yet Christ is so much at peace. And he wakes up and he just calms the storm. And sometimes you and I pull back from God because we just really, we don't want to know what he has to say or we're just not quite sure. The storm consumes us and we forget at those times that he's there. And, you know, if we just need to go and knock on his door or he, he might knock on our door, we need to open it and welcome him in. So, um, fair weather friends. And, and when friendships get a little strain, and instead of giving time sometimes, you know, instead of running or them running, we just need to communicate, understand, and then, and don't cut and run. Um, faith, faithful is a commitment to someone or something once the feelings of excitement fade. You know? We can all be tempted when the feelings fade to disengage. Oh, I just don't feel like I just don't feel like we've got it together anymore. So, you know, I'm happy just not to call anymore, not to write the letter, not the email. Or sometimes when we start a new job, everybody's at the workplace is fantastic. But then after six months, 
we get a bit bored, we disconnect, we start to look at other job options. Oh, look, I don't know, you, none of us maybe do that, but I'm just trying to illustrate. In marriage, the feelings can be great to start with, they can be all that, you know, that, that, that love, that feely-feely sense of things, you know, and if anybody's been married more than six months here, you know that that can fade. And that's okay, because you were never meant to live that realm of just having this, oh, you know, waking up and, you know, um, he's, he's losing his hair, he's, uh, he's got false teeth, and, you, and when you still love them, you know that it's not based on feelings, don't you? But we've got to be careful, because faithfulness is a commitment to someone, or, or, or not just feelings. We live in an age where faithfulness and loyalty, loyalty are dismissed. Really, the, the culture of today is to dismiss faithfulness and loyalty because, you, did you know restaurants, they'll offer, or coffee shops are a good example, they'll offer you a loyalty card. And if you take, if you buy, you get it, every time you get a coffee there, not, I actually don't drink coffee um, much, maybe two a year, but um, so, uh, so you get this stamp on your card, and if you get 10 coffees, you can get a free one. Who's got one of those loyalty cards? Uh, a couple of us. Well done. The truth is, you've probably got six other loyalty cards too. How loyal is that? <laughs> no, just joking, just joking. See, we, the sad thing is we are living in a benefit-first culture. Benefit-first culture and not a relational or loyal culture sometimes. Not all the time, but just sometimes. And, and, and if we're believers and followers of Jesus, we have to be careful that this attitude doesn't of benefits-first doesn't bleed into our relationships because it doesn't, it doesn't reflect the very culture of Jesus Christ. You know, benefits. But the prodigal son was an interesting story in Luke 15, isn't he? He said to his dad, I'll have the inheritance that's due to me. He was literally, he took it before he should have. Wrong. Anyway, there's a whole message right there. He, he went wasteful with his finance, spent it wine women and songs so to speak and then it's interesting when a famine came and he ran out of money all those friends that he'd gathered isn't it interesting all the friends that he'd gathered when the money ran out they ran they cut and run he's left by himself pig pen feeding pigs trying to jewish boy and this should never be found in a pork factory anyway um and so finally did you realize in that story he's reaping what he's sowing because the disloyalty he showed to his father and family he's now finding his friends don't show him don't are doing exactly what he did to his family they've cut and run he cut and run from his family they've cut and run from him when the money ran out he finally realizes where he'll find faithfulness and loyalty he goes back to his dad his dad welcomes him in the in wonderful ending to the story which is such a wonderful story of how our heavenly father welcomes us so he he, he he wanted loyalty, but he couldn't give it until he realized he got to his lowest point. Second, Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, Paul's young mentoree, he said to him in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. He remains faithful. That's the nature of Christ. And faithfulness is the nature of Christ, and that's why loyalty characterizes the person who follows Christ. Loyalty and faithfulness. Everybody say now, gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. That's the uh, ninth, I think we're up to number, no, uh, sorry, eighth uh, virtue of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Gentleness, gentleness is not just picking up your guinea pig and going, oh, so nice. 
Gentleness means humility and thinking of yourself less. The opposite of gentleness is thinking of yourself to be superior or to be self-absorbed. And you may say, make the connection here. Okay, gentleness is, is also something else. It's not weakness and, it's, and gentleness is not cowardness, folks. And sometimes to show great restraint and gentleness under, under pressure is an incredible strength. It's a refusal to be harsh and a refusal to try and dominate other people. That's what it is. Um, Paul said this. To be honest, I I said Paul wrote to the Galatians because he was trying to correct something. Nearly every letter Paul wrote actually was trying to correct something. (laughs) And And it's often the reason he wrote. Not the only reason, but the reason he wrote. So he writes to Corinthians. They were Greek, where the Greece is today. Corinth is still there today. Uh, chapter 421, and he says, What do you want? And he was a bit honest with them. Shall I come to you with a rod? Talking to these Christians at Corinth. Or in love and a spirit of gentleness. So, so Paul is making a point here. And what he's talking is, we can deal with people, metaphorically speaking, by beating them up. Um, to come, uh, and, and, and we can come to others with an attitude uh, to beat them up, but we need to come, Paul says, with an attitude to build them up. And that's why Paul often corrected in love, because he was trying to build them up. He wasn't trying to beat them down. But I've discovered that if you take that to our situation, insecure people can often beat other people up to make themselves feel bigger and better. I'm not saying you guys, okay. I'm just saying generally, you know what I'm saying? We could sometimes, if we're secure, we beat other people up to make us feel bigger. And in, and, but secure people don't have to beat other people up. They just have, with their words, metaphorically speaking, we don't have to make, make um, they don't have to make themselves bigger in other people's eyes. And so they don't have to do that. So we don't become bigger, truth is, we don't become bigger by beating other people up. We become, when we look smaller and when we, we can, we become bigger by building others up. John the Baptist said something about Jesus. He says, because John the Baptist is just about to finish his ministry, and he says, you know what? I must decrease and he must increase. And John became an incredible um, uh, uh, you know, champion of the New Testament, and yet he saw himself as decreasing. He had some doubts sometimes, I understand that, but, he, but you know, the truth is, is we build others up when we, when we verbally don't um, admonish and destroy and speak down. You know, I've, I was um, thinking about um, stones and rocks and things. And if you wanted to shape a stone, you know, you can take a stone and you can shape it by two ways. You can take a sledgehammer to it and try and mold it into some shape. Or you can just leave it in a running stream. It's amazing how over time that rock becomes incredibly smooth. If you ever been to a stream that's been there for some significant time, you'll never find a jagged rock in that stream. And you know, our lives... Our lives um, can either be shaped uh, by the hard sledgehammers of life or by the smooth, wonderful flowing of a river stream by water. And the trouble with the sledgehammer is that we become hurt and bitter and upset and frustrated and angry. I'm not saying God can't change that, but with the flowing water, it's amazing how it takes time because... Because the truth is, a, a, a sledgehammer is a quick solution, very quick results, but destructive power. The 
flowing river, it takes more time and it's a wonderful, gentle way of changing lives. You know, you're, you and I, are hopefully, if you're here today, you're probably a result of the stream. Slowly, just your relationship with God, through that relationship with Him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, slowly, bit by bit, just being smooth and conformed and becoming in the likeness of Christ. I know which one I want to. I know which sometimes when I'm thinking of people, I just wish there was a quick answer for them. Because people walk into our church and we just think, geez, if only they change. And sometimes it takes a process. In actual fact, the process is better than anything else. And that's why we need to have grace for one another, don't we? Come on. Just because they look and smell different to you, we just need to have the grace. Because I'm thankful that God never deals with me with a sledgehammer. Sometimes I think He does, but it's just my bad decisions that often cause those problems. But it's, it's not the way Christ... It says, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said about himself, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle and what? Lowly in heart and you'll find what for your souls? Rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, when you're humble and gentle of heart, other people find you approachable. And if you're in Jesus Christ, they found him approachable. The only people who didn't find Jesus Christ approachable were the really religious people that just couldn't stand Christ because He had a grace and a mercy, and a, and a, but they didn't get that. But it's amazing how many people who were struggling in life found Him incredibly uh, light and easy to deal with and talk to. And you know, if I was to think about any moments in the life of Christ, if I was to think about any significant times when He encountered people that were really on their last legs or just really, you know, in, in that society were the outcast. And probably even today we make classes a little bit of outcast. But there was a time when Jesus met with a woman, uh, she was a Samaritan, she had had five husbands. So with all due respect to her, I think that there was an emotional mess happening right there. Five husbands, you know, understandably. And I... And so Jesus comes to her, but it's interesting, Jesus gives her an ear before he gives her his opinion. That's how gentle he is. If there was another situation, there's another woman, and ladies, I don't just pick on you today, women today, there's plenty of men <laughs> uh, that had messed up lives. Um, actually, there was 12 of them that were called the disciples, but that's another story. Um, do you think Jesus picked the best? No, he picked men. And I mean, there weren't just 12 men. There was a lot of incredible women who followed Jesus. But um, anyway, he, Jesus took 12 and he molded them. He put them in the river for three years and they smoothed over. And then the Holy Spirit came along and done another wonderful work in their lives. Uh, so John, uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, there's a woman She's thrown at the feet of Jesus because she's been caught in the act of adultery. That's a shameful moment for her, incredibly. Just imagine if I decided this morning, or let's just, because uh, all the, you know, the, it was the Pharisees, and just imagine if I got the, the you know, the, um, some of the team of our church. I'll just, we'll just bring this lady in and let's, um, let's admonish her in front of everybody. That would just be such the wrong thing to do, wouldn't it? Um, 
So this lady comes in and she's caught in the act of adultery. And everyone's expecting that she'll be met with rocks of judgment, metaphorically speaking. Well, not metaphorically, actual rocks of judgment and condemnation. But Jesus instead, what does he do? He stoops down to her level and waits with her and then lifts her back up. And so then he says, you know, to I'm not going to condemn you. And let me add a little bit here. Uh, as there are just, there's just one thing. I'm not going to condemn you. There's just one thing. I want you to... You to um, do something for you today. I know we didn't. I know the scripture doesn't say that, but it's the um, King James translation. Um, that's a joke. Okay, my name's James. Don't worry about it. So what he said was, "I want you to do something for you today. Stop the destructive lifestyle of adultery. Your life will go better." What he says is, he says, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Just stop it. You didn't give her. You didn't give her the, you know." The 10 rules of coming out of adultery. <laughs> he didn't give her a book on how to become a pure lady. No, he just he spoke words of truth and gentleness. And so notice this, he gets down in the dirt with her, he hangs out with her for a while, and then he lifts her up from where she was. Now see this, he relates to her, he gives her time, and then he elevates to a better life. I reckon right there is a good relationship skills. But the whole point was he just wanted... We just see gentleness, and I'm glad the gentleness for Christ. He was not weak or cowardly. He went to a cross, my, 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 for humanity. And here's, here's the last um, thing. Self-control. Everybody go, self, come on, self-control, self-control. I confess I once ate six summer rolls in one day. But I was young, and I used to ride my push bike to the, um, where I worked, and I used to ride home again. So I hope that's a reasonable excuse. But really, no one should eat six chocolate bars in one day. But gee, they were good. <laughs> anyway, um, self-control also means temperance. Now, there's a word we don't use very often. Temperance means having the power of possession of a thing. In other words, it's not having power and possession of others. It's having power and possession of your own attitudes, your own thoughts, and your own emotions. It's mastering your desires and passions. And, and, and it's having, um, the Latin word for temperance is to restrain, okay? It's to restrain. It's not someone else restraining, it's yourself restraining you. It's all about you restraining yourself. So it's to restrain your own desires and passions. And people say, oh no, I just need to be true to myself. I just need to do what I like. Well, yeah, how does that go on? But sometimes we need, we need to bring restraint because we don't like the word restraint. Oh, don't restrain anybody. No, I'm not talking about restraining other people. I'm talking about restraining yourself. That's what it's talking about. Um, temperance has, has become more difficult in our Western culture again because we have a culture that conditions us for instant gratification. Would you agree? Want a meal? Microwave it uh, or door dash it or whatever other you know, delivery service you can get. You want a movie, Netflix it, or, you know, Big Pond it, or whatever, it's there. Um, uh, Google, if you want information, Google it. It's there. Far out. Need music, iTunes it, or whatever other app you want to use. You, you know, there was a day when there was a thing called a cassette. Who remembers the cassette? 
And, you know, you, you, you could even have a cassette player in your car. I thought it was incredible. And you'd put it in and, and, uh, and it'd play for you. But, it, but, you know, you often, for me, I kept a bundle of them in a little box under the seat. But if you didn't have enough room under the seat, they just floated around the car, you know, on the floor. And sometimes that tape came out. And you always had to have a, pe ball, a pen and you had to put it into the spool and wind it back, you know. That took time. I'm really glad that we don't have to do that now because uh, iTunes and all that, I don't actually use that. Um, but that's okay. I, I get all the songs I need because someone else in my house plays music, which is great. <laughs> I don't need to have my own. I got all the good stuff. Uh, anyway... Um, Almost any appetite we can gratify it quickly today. We have to be careful because it can condition us to be weak and it come, when it comes to temperance or self-control because we, have, we don't have to exercise the muscle. We don't have to exercise the muscle of patience and, and self-control or restraint when we can just get it like that. We don't, and you know, I think, I think one of the most powerful lessons as we grow up in life is to have this power of delayed gratification. Because it teaches you so much about respecting what you get and, and valuing what you get and all those type of things, doesn't it? So we see this, we have to be careful. Self-control, no wonder Paul wrote it. No wonder there was so much written in the Bible about it. Scripture, self-control. Unfortunately, society can applaud people today who, who they give a, a verbal spray to someone else on social media or on the TV media, and people say, well, they're just, they're just being true to themselves. Rubbish. They've just got no self-control. And their emotions have taken over. Is that okay to say that? Don't engage someone on social media and have an argument. It, no one wins. <laughs> self-control is a requirement for healthy relationships. And, and words, when we speak words, words can't be unspoken, can they? When we come out with a harsh word or a rash word and they do years of damage from a lack of self-control and it only takes a moment to say something bad, but it, it can take years to repair it. Years to repair it. And I've said some things and boy, I've regretted it because it's taken a long time to get it back to the right thing. Back to that relationship again. No wonder, no wonder the James, he only wrote one book in the Bible and he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Sometimes for us, we do become, we take it really slow when we're angry. We just let things build up and build up and build up. That's really slow. But then after a year, we just explode. You know what, you've got, you got to push the relief valve long before it ever explodes. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> We've got to let things go sometimes because words spoken are not easily taken back. There's a disciple of Jesus who was called Peter. Um, he was a disciple. Paul was an apostle. Paul was never a disciple of Christ, but later on he became a disciple. But Peter was at one of the twelve, and for some three years... Peter followed Jesus along with other 11 other guys and many other women, as I said. And he became known as a disciple who didn't have the tongue that could be controlled. He was the one with the uncontrollable tongue. And he was hasty. He was rash. He could get angry quickly. Um, and every now and then he would say something and Jesus would correct him. And eventually led him, uh, that led him to deny Christ on the night that Christ was whipped and flogged and 
the next day was crucified that evening before Peter denied Christ three times as you're well aware he was committed um, he, he but thankfully Jesus saw the qualities in Peter and he restored him because he saw the the commitment that he had he saw that he had a, a repentant heart and the, and Jesus restored him as a disciple after his denial of him and so Peter lacked self-control and was turned around and in second Peter this is years later Christ is, you know, he's had his three years with Jesus. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's had probably a decade or two, and he's written this letter. And it's the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, 5, and 6. And he says this, For this reason, make every effort, Peter says. Come on, every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance and perseverance, godliness. There we go. Peter, the one who couldn't control his mouth, now is an advocate of the very virtue that he had struggled with. He says, come on, have self-control. It's possible, isn't it? Thank you. Anybody else agree? It's possible. So today, if you knowing that there's things you're lacking in self-control, I know, I know someone who can help you. It's called, it's called Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit, His Heavenly Father. I know someone. The Bible says healthy relationships, it requires self-control. We all enjoy relationships with people that are stable, and we all enjoy relationships with people that are consistent, and we're, and we're not, you know, when you're not wondering what you're going to get. You, are you going to get rocks or diamonds today in this relationship? No, we enjoy that. Now, it's not that we shouldn't hang with people who have good days and bad days, It's because sometimes they just need you. But you know, when, when we don't enjoy people maybe that are difficult to deal with why don't we then make it a virtue in our lives that we become not that person but a person that isn't difficult to deal with so that when we have to talk to someone we have a patience with them and when we have to talk to someone we display some integrity and goodness and when we have to deal with someone we have self-control and and we're just not harsh but gentle you know these things that Christ Christ had. Did you know this week, um, as the singers come and we close, did you know this week on Tuesday morning at between 5 and 6 o'clock, there's a, there's a planet out there that is the biggest of all planets in our universe. It's called Ju Jupiter. I, think, I believe it's the biggest. If you want to correct me, that's okay, but I think it's Jupiter. Uh, anyway, this week on Tuesday morning, Actually, all this week, you can look at it, but we've had a cloudy, we haven't been able to see it. Jupiter is the biggest and brightest in the sky that it's ever been for 59 years. In the evening sky, you'll see it, if the clouds allow us to, this brilliant, what looks like a star, and it's Jupiter, it's, just, it's bigger than brighter. And with even binoculars, you can see the form of Jupiter. Uh, if you've got a telescope, that's a bonus. But you, but you may ask, why is Jupiter bigger than brighter than, than it ever has been for 59 years? is because Jupiter at this moment is the closest it's ever been to the sun in 59 years. Why do I know it's 59 years? Because the last time it was close, this close to the sun was 1963. I was born then. So this is a fact I remember. So Jupiter this week, uh, this year is closest to the sun than it's in its orbit. It's not, it's not it's a oval orbit and so it comes close to the sun at a certain time and, it's, and you can see it but not only is Jupiter 
which is a wonderful thing when you think about it, Meta- metaphorically speaking. How do we be good? How do, how do we have integrity? Because I tell you, we need somebody greater than us in us to help us. We need someone. And I tell you what, it's time to get close to the Son. It's time to draw near to Him, folks. Whether it's personal devotion or just Bible reading or, or through His presence and worship. And because you know what? To do life really a lot better, we need Him in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jupiter is the brightest and biggest it's been. Because the sun has more power to reflect when it's closer off Jupiter and reflect to us. And you know what? You shine best when you reflect Him most. But not only is Jupiter close to the sun, it's, the close, it's, the, it's the, in, in the Earth's orbit, we're the closest to Jupiter we've ever been. It happens at the same time that we've ever been in 59 years too. And so we're all close to each other at the moment. And I love the fact that Jupiter reflects the sun, but for a purpose to reflect to this earthly world that we live in. And if there's, only, if there's one way that we're going to build a relationship with these people in this earthly world that we live in, it has to be through the source of the sun, through His presence in our lives. And some say, well, you know, when you've got Jesus in your life, aren't you using Him as a crutch? Well, maybe initially we do because we're hurting and we're, and we're broken. But you know, when you go on with Christ, you, you discard the crutch. And he just gives you, he gives you more than a crutch. He gives you life to live. And he comes and dwells on the inside through his presence. And he helps us. And so what was just a crutch first to have his presence in our lives now becomes a lifestyle of living with the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. Just living in that way. Becoming real and becoming gentle and becoming all that God has for us. Are you there today? Are you here? however that may be. And so this morning, I just want to invite you today just to stand with me, if you could, and I want to invite you to be realize that you cannot possibly have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You cannot possibly have that. But through Him, you can. And maybe today, as you, in this meeting, just for a moment as we sing this last song, as we just give a moment of worship to Him, Maybe you're just saying, you know what, I just need more of his presence, more of his touch, more of him. Now, it's not, I know that sometimes in older we, it's not going to all just bang, change, but there's going to be something infused into your life of his presence that just puts a joy and a peace for now. And I know that we've got to live that out every day of our life. But I believe his presence, the Holy Spirit's here. He's been speaking to hearts. And maybe today you just want to come and just worship Him for a moment and just stand before Him and surrender afresh or, or, or just give Him something. How about, I'd love just to let His presence touch you. Holy Spirit, just pray for you today and stand with you. So as we sing, I want to invite you because I know one of the most powerful things in my life is His presence and His touch because it changes things in here as I surrender to Him every day. And sometimes we're a little bit hesitant. Oh, I can do it. I can do it at home. That's fine. You can do it at home. You can do it where you stand. But why don't you just make a move towards Him because it says, as He who draws near to God, He will draw near to them. And sometimes I think that just takes a physical, a physical element, a, a, you know, a practical element of just stepping out sometimes and saying, yeah, I need just more of you, Lord, in my life.
So how about we sing this beautiful song? I can be real with you. Say anything and I'll be afraid. Come on. You made me and you like what you made. You made me and you don't make mistakes. I can be real with you. You take me just as I am. You choose me. Welcome. If you just know that's you today, I just love you just to pray with you, stand with you, let God's presence touch your life. This is love. Encourage you today. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you. Take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. This room at your table for me. I am the one you love. 
Hey, Father, we thank you today. It's just a, a great day. Just to, we just thank you that you're good to us. And Lord, it's just more about, you know, today is, it's more than just, Father, reading words, singing some songs, and uh, we all go, oh, you're happy. No, it's, it's about you and your presence and your touch in our lives, because we need you in the real world tomorrow, today. We need you. We need, we need help, uh, and we draw near to you. I pray you'll strengthen us in that whole area, just devotion to you, personal devotion, Lord. That we'll read more of your word than we read more of the newspaper or the apps on our phone. That we would actually talk to you um, just as much as we may talk um, to some of those close friends. So we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your presence and we give you all the honor and the praise today. In Jesus' name. And everyone who greets it, amen. Have a great day, church. Carry someone.